We are so glad that you are with us today online at Moncton Wesleyan Church. And we are going to stick around at the end of the service for something we've never done before since we're all online today. Uh, we are going to take your questions, your comments live at the end of the service. And so uh, you might want to stick around for a little bit, 20, 30 minutes, even if you need to hit pause and uh, run and grab a drink after the service or whatever uh, so that you're freshly hydrated. But we hope you'll stick around. Uh, we've been having an, an amazing pre-service this Sunday. We heard a testimony from somebody who, uh, who began to grow in their faith in Nova Scotia, watching our service, and then moved here to town. We're going to hear more of those stories over the next few weeks. I tell you what, I saw that interview yesterday uh, in advance, and I just, the one that we're going to hear next week, I just was like crying in my house almost. I was just overwhelmed by the power of what God is doing through online ministry. God knows no bounds. Amen? You want to say amen? All right. Well, today uh, we continue this series that, that's been all month long that will continue next week where we're exploring the nature of God. What is he like? And this, this week I came across some interesting statistics about what Canadians think of God. It's from Croft Research, and over the last 15 years, look at what's happened. In 2005, 81% of Canadians believed in God. But look at a 16% decrease by 2017, where according to Croft Research, 65% believed in God in 2017. That's a decrease of, of, of about 16% over a period of 17 years. Now, even those who say they believe in God, it might not mean what you think it means. Because if you drill deeper down into these numbers, on the next screen, that 37% that believe in their own constructed image of God. It doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means, according to Scripture. 30%, 37% believe in their own constructed image of God, and 21% believe in a force in the universe, as in Star Wars. Most of our culture today is being more shaped by Star Wars than by the Bible. And, and here's my point. Here's, here's what I think that means. That when... When we think of people rejecting God, one of the things to keep in mind is that many people in their rejection of God don't even know who the God of the Bible is. And the fact is, we naturally tend to reject that which we know little about. Isn't that true? When we know little about something, it's, it's hard to accept it. And so that is why, listen, our purpose and our calling as a church is to point people to this ancient book filled with wisdom about the creator of the universe and, and, and about the history of humanity. And our job is to point people to this, this God who loves you and wants to transform your life. And the core of that message, the core of the gospel, is that, that 
there is this one central figure, this person and power of the most singular, uh, amazing figure in the history of humanity. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. But then, here's what starts to get people confused sometimes. Here's what starts to blow people's mind is when you then start to talk about Jesus as God. How could this person named Jesus 2,000 years ago be God? Because after all, isn't God up in heaven? If Jesus is God, then does that make two gods? And then you start talking about the Holy Spirit as God, does, does that make three gods? And so that's why we're going to drill into this, this question that sometimes causes confusion in the, the mystery, the great mystery of the Christian faith called the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is hard for us to wrap our minds around. John Wesley said, you show me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. In other words, a a worm trying to understand a human is like a human trying to understand God. It's kind of like trying to explain quantum physics to your dog. (laughs) I mean, your dog's smart, but but you start talking and they kind of look at you like, I I don't know what what you're talking about. And I don't think that I'll ever fully understand the mystery of the Trinity until I get to heaven, but we're going to give it our best shot today, okay? Are you ready to dive in? What is the Trinity? Well, first of all, we need to know that the Trinity does not mean three gods. There is only one God. This is what we call monotheism. Uh, Monotheism is really from two words. Mono means one, and theism means of God. And so monotheism, in fact, theism, like for example, you know that word. You've heard of the word theology. Uh, Theology means the study of God. That's what we're doing in this series, theology, the study of God. And so monotheism means there is only one one God. And that is the foundation of Judaism, which is the foundation of the Christian faith, or that Christianity believes it's the fulfillment of the promise of Judaism. And so so when 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 Moses received the commandments, he began in Deuteronomy 6:4, declaring to the people, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? Say it with me, the Lord is one. This was written in Hebrew, and, and in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's called the Shema, the Shema, uh, because Shema in Hebrew means hear. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And if you continue into the next verse in Hebrew, it says, Ve'ehefta et Adonai Elohecha bechol levavcha uvechol nafshecha uvechol me'oreka, which means, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And when you look at the New Testament, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, that is the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and that the Lord is 
one. That is absolutely what Jesus and the first disciples affirmed. But within that one God, are you ready? Within that one God, God exists as three distinct persons. Now, now here's where it gets interesting, okay? Because when you, when you look at the, the, the Old Testament, yes, God is one all the way from the very beginning. But notice what it says in the very beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Well, that's plural. I thought there was only one God. But all the way back in the very beginning, we see God as as a a multiple, a, a plurality of consciousness within this one being, the Creator. And who are these three persons? Hey, all the kids at home right now with your family, uh, you can say it with me, okay? Everybody say it together. Family, say it together. Kids, let me hear you. What is the Trinity? Who are the three persons of the Godhead? The Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Say it again. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, one of the places that we see the greatest examples of this, and there are many, but, but you find this in particular in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and look at what, what we see here, Matthew three sixteen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so here you have Jesus in the flesh, you have the Spirit in the form of a dove, and the Father as a voice from heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Who is God? The Father, from whom all things came and through whom we live, and the Son, through whom whom all things came and through whom we live. One God. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. And so here, Jesus is God, and it says that he has the same rights or is equal in rights as the Father. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Then Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You weren't lying to us, but to who? But to God. And so the Holy Spirit is God. And so you put all this together. If the Father is fully God, and if the Son is fully God, and if the Spirit is fully God, then here's what it means. One God equals three persons 
equals the Trinity. Now you find this all throughout Scripture. As we said, all the way back to Genesis, you have this reference that we looked at. You have it unpacked in the New Testament in various ways. And then in the first few centuries of the church, they began to try to make sure that there was clarity on what this doctrine means. And so listen to this ancient creed that's about 1,700 and some years old uh, called the Athanasian Creed. Let me read it for you. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit, and yet they are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. That is a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, that's a lot. But but let me show you in a diagram, just before we move on, just to make sure we've got it here. Within the nature of the one true God, look at this diagram. Within the nature of the one true God, there exist three equal and eternal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinitarians do not believe in three gods, nor do we believe the three persons of the Godhead are merely different modes or manifestations of the same person. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. In other words, we must distinguish the persons without dividing the substance. Right? Like This is heavy-duty stuff. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around. And yet, just because something is difficult to understand does not make that thing any less true. When we try to explain this to to children, there are all kinds of examples that get used. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. None of them are perfect. Uh, But, you know, we talk about like the egg has three parts, a shell the white and the yolk, three separate parts, but all one organism, or, or a three-leaf clover, three leaves, but one organism. And I mean, they all fall short. Here's another one. For example, Dorothy Sayers says, if you were to ask a writer which is the real book, the idea he has in his head of it, the words of his manuscript, or the effect that it has on those who read it, he would be at a loss to tell you. All three of them, each of them separately is the complete book, yet it takes all three to make the book. Another example is from Frank Beckwith about how hard this is for us to to comprehend. But I, I like this one. This is interesting. He says, a plant is a being with no center of consciousness. A human is a being with one center of consciousness God is a being with three centers of consciousness. And so think about that. Just as we are at a higher level of consciousness than a plant, in a similar way, 
God is at a higher, multiple-leveled consciousness than us. Now, there are, are three pieces to this doctrine that are absolutely foundational. And if you remove any of them, you end up with what are called heresies or doctrinal errors. Let me show you really quickly in this triangle. You have, first of all, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The other side of the triangle, we have the equality of persons, that they are all equal in authority. And, and then uh, you have subordinationism, or I'm sorry, monotheism, which is only one God. This was supposed to be covered up. Sorry, guys. That, that's why I got confused. Let's go to the next slide, and we'll, we'll show. What happens is that if you look at the opposite corner, it shows that if you remove any one of these three foundational doctrines on the side, you end up with a doctrinal error or what has traditionally been called a heresy. And so three persons, for example, if you take away three persons, you end up with modalism. Modalism is the idea that God just shifts between different modes, like kind of like changing hats. One day he's the Father, the next day he's the Son, the next day he's the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. Three persons, not modalism. If you look at the equality of persons, if you take that away, you end up with what's called subordinationism. Subordinationism is the idea that Jesus is a lesser God subordinate to the Father. And this is the idea of some groups like, uh, like the Jehovah's Witness or the Universalist Church, that Jesus is a lesser version of God. No, 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 no. And then also monotheism. If you take away one God, you end up with polytheism, the idea that Jesus is just one of many gods. Uh, Mormonism is really popular in the United States, and, and this is a part of Mormonism, the idea of polytheism, that Jesus is one of many gods, and, and if you do the right things, you get to become a god too. And so, you're like, Joel, this is, this is like heavy-duty stuff. I don't know what to do with all this. In other words, two words. Here's the question. So What? <laughs> What does all this matter? Joel, why are you? I, I didn't come online today to, to, to like learn all this stuff that doesn't have any application for my life. Well, here's, here's why this is significant. You see, without the doctrine of the Trinity, then Christianity is a sham. Christmas becomes a lie. Easter becomes a joke. And here's why. Because the doctrine of the Trinity tells us three things that are absolutely essential. The Trinity, first of all, teaches us something essential about God. There are things that you will never understand about God until you understand the Trinity. The, the Trinity also teaches us something essential about our world. There are things that you will never understand about what is going on in this world apart from the Trinity. And it teaches us something essential about Christianity. There are things about our faith that you will never understand until you start to wrestle with the doctrine of the Trinity. And so guess what? We are going to answer in what I think and, and pray and believe is going to be a super powerful way, we are going to answer 
all three of these questions next week. (laughs) Next week. And you're like, Joel, I don't think I can handle too much of this. One week was enough. I don't think we can do two. I promise. Listen, you got through the hard stuff today. We dealt with the really hard doctrine today. Now, next week, we're going to see why it matters. So don't just get through today and not come back next week and experience the good stuff with us because it's really, really important. And I can't wait to share this with you next week. But as we get ready to, uh, to worship and, and, and declare the Trinity here at the end of the service together, I want to share with you what I'm just kind of calling a prayer vision that I had this week. This week, uh, at our Tuesday morning prayer time that's on Zoom, you know, we always at the end of every service mention mw.church slash prayer, and there there are all kinds of different prayer options that you can participate in or receive prayer. And, and, and one of those options that we have every week is a prayer call on Zoom every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Atlantic. And people from anywhere in the world can participate in that. And one of the things that is amazing to me, I've shared this with you before, is how often I'm wrestling with a question or even getting ready to teach on a particular thing on the following Sunday, and I'm wrestling with some idea and trying to figure out how to tackle it, and how often God is faithful to show up at that Tuesday prayer time or at, that, at our Thursday at noon prayer time here at the church or, or at our our uh, small group, how often in times of group prayer, God speaks to me and reveals things that I've been wrestling with and gives me answers to questions that I feel like I need answers to. And that happened this Tuesday morning. Because as we were praying together, Ken Bandy mentioned on that Zoom conference call that the Christmas decorations were going up. And he was praying about as we head into the Christmas season and decorations going up downtown. And he mentioned something about the angels on the lampposts downtown in our city. And in that moment, I felt like I just had this picture in my head that I received from God about the power of what Christmas decorations might be able to to do. And so it was snowing Thursday evening, and so uh, my daughter and I got in the car, and we drove to downtown Moncton, and I, I got out, and I snapped a few pictures, and, 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 and here you can see all down Main Street, and if you look, I don't know if you can see it, if, if you're on a big screen, maybe you can, how there are little angels all the way down the street on both sides of the street, and they're blowing their trumpets, and then I, 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 I continued on down Main Street where you arrive at City Hall. And, and at the entrance to City Hall, there's this, this ledge that goes right across the whole front of the entrance. And I don't even know how many. I forgot to count how many. This is just one of many. There are something like seven or eight of these huge angels sitting at the entrance to to City Hall. They're like seven, eight feet tall. They're massive, blowing these magnificent trumpets.
And here's what came to mind in that prayer. Here's, here's what I feel like God, God gave me. Is in order to understand this, you need to know something about the Greek of the New Testament. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. We already talked today about the, how the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Well, in Greek, it's where we get our word for angel. The Greek word is angelos. Now, if you know anything about Greek, when you read the New Testament in Greek, the word angelos is actually a functional word. It's not just like we think of angel as like this totally separate word in our language, but in Greek, angelos literally is the word messenger. And so literally in the Bible, the name for an angel is messenger. And so in our prayer time, as Ken mentioned, that there are angels going up all up and down Main Street and on, on City Hall. Immediately, I got this picture. I felt that was like it was from the Holy Spirit, that, that these messengers are being put up all around our city. Many people, as they put up decorations in their home, wherever you live around the world, maybe decorations like this are going up. And part of those decorations might include an angel, maybe even an angel blowing a trumpet to declare something. And what do the angels declare when Jesus is born? They say, glory to God. God in the highest, peace on earth, good will to men. That a Savior has been born to you, and He is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. His name is Jesus. And so here's, here, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. That if, if every time someone were to see an angel this Christmas season in a decoration, something like this. Let's go back. That they would not just see the messenger, but that God would give them a revelation of the message. That every person who sees an angel, that God would reveal to them the message that God loves them and he has made a way for their salvation. And wherever you are around the world today, maybe you could join me in that prayer. We have loved ones. Loved ones who maybe will drive up and down the streets of the city and as they see an angel, maybe on a light post or on a Christmas tree, that God would give them supernatural vision to see into the heavenlies, to see the message that those messenger angels came to give, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That the only way to come to the Father is through Him. And so I wonder if you'll join me in doing something kind of different today. I, I can honestly say I've never done this before. I want to pray a blessing over angel Christmas decorations. <laughs> Could we do that together? Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we think of the angels that came and proclaimed the message of salvation that Christ has come.
Son of God, who brings light and life into the world, and that all who believe on him will be saved. Lord, that this is a weird request that we come to you with, but I think it will honor you. Lord, might you place some kind of special anointing upon the angels all around our city or, and anyone who's watching with us, whether they're in Nova Scotia or, or Saskatchewan or the United States or Brazil or, or Korea or anywhere around the world, that, that any of these angel Christmas decorations that go up, these angelos, these messengers, might be anointed with a message that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to anyone who looks upon them. Give them eyes to see your great love. Give them ears to hear the voice of your truth. That people would look past the messengers to see the message. Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would bring transformation into people's lives. I pray now for my loved ones who so desperately need you and everyone who's here with us today. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God, that you're a mighty God, you are a mysterious God. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we cry out to you now in our worship as we declare your praise and affirm these truths.